I'm Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach, and I have the amazing privilege of sharing God's Word with you. But before I begin sharing God's Word with you, I'd like to share another little bit of Word I got uh, that came on my computer a while ago, and this is what it said. Congratulations, Amazon.com user. You've been selected as a winner for the free $1,000 Amazon gift card, Apple iPhone X 256G, or Samsung Galaxy S8, exclamation mark. Please click OK to claim your prize before we give it away to someone else. The pressure, right? They're going to give away my free gift. My free gift. Um, now, I knew this was a scam. Like, first of all, it's not an iPhone uh, X256G, it's GB, and uh, I'm not even an Amazon.com user, I'm an Amazon.com.au user. But there's this little part of me that just thinks, well, maybe, maybe it's true, right? Like, what's the worst that could happen if I click OK? Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever fallen for some silly idea or a silly belief. Uh, I certainly have. Um, I went to an all-boys, uh, very traditional high school back in South Africa, and part of their strict regulations were your haircuts and your hair length, so it had to be a certain length. Uh, so what happens when you tell someone you can't do this? What's the very thing they want to do? And for some reason, we just wanted to have long hair as much as we could. So we developed this trick that you grew your hair to the maximum limit you were allowed just before the December holidays. And then over the December holidays, you could grow your hair and you'd arrive back on the first day of school of the new year and show off your mop that you've managed to grow before the teachers tell you to cut it. Now, a mate of mine came to me and he said, listen, my mom is a nurse. And she says, if we take the contraceptive pill and we ground it down into a powder, and then you mix it with your shampoo, your hair will grow like super fast. So he hooked us up with some contraceptive pill. We ground it down into powder, and we mixed it with shampoo, and we washed our hair, and we washed our hair, and we got back uh, on the first day of school. And you know what happened? Nothing, nothing. I didn't grow any faster at all. It was just like it had always been. The truth is sometimes we get suckered. We get suckered. Now, and there is always a cost. Uh, for me, in that moment, it was my ego. Um, and it's not so serious, right? The, the stakes are not that high. But what we believe about God is very serious, right? Because your belief ultimately affects your behavior. Uh, now, in Jude, the, the people that he's writing to, the false teachers had got in and they were spreading these false teachings amongst the church. And the people Jude is addressing today are those who have actually been taken in. They thought, mm, maybe what's the worst that could happen if I click OK. They, there's some who have started to believe this stuff, and there are others that, well, they're considering it. Now, before we look at that, we need to ask the question, why do we believe some of this stuff? Why do we fall for it? 
And I think there are a lot of reasons, but two primary reasons are one, that it comes from authority. Authority, right? In my case, the guy's mom was a nurse, right? I trusted the authority. But the second reason, and I think this is the the predominant one, is because we want to believe it, right? I wanted to have long hair, and I would believe almost anything to get it. Today, I am just grateful to have hair at all, right? I wake up every day, Lord, I still have hair. That's good. It's falling out at a fast rate. But the truth is, We believe some of the stuff because we want to believe it, right? Paul knew this, and he wrote to Timothy, and he warned him. He said, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I want to believe it. So tell me what I want to believe. Let's just say parents got together, and they decided they were going to do this experiment, right? They all got together and said, this is what we're going to tell our young kids. We're going to tell them that there's this guy who lives in the North Pole. And once a year, he puts on this red costume with a big hat. He's a well-fed guy. And and he's got a, a sleigh that flies in the sky. And then there's reindeer that pull the sleigh. And he comes to each and everybody's house, and he climbs through your chimney. Even if you don't have a chimney, he'll find a way to get in your house, and he's going to give you presents. Do you think the children are going to believe that story? Yes, they do, right? They do. They do, because one, it comes from a voice of authority, and two, it's because they want to believe it. It's a great, magical story. Now, for Jude, these false teachers had come in, and what they're really corrupting is the creed, the Christian creed, what we believe. And when you corrupt that creed, pretty soon you corrupt conduct. And this is what they were saying. Verse 4 tells us, they said, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These guys, they're ungodly people. They take grace, which is this beautiful, beautiful thing, and they pervert it into a license for immorality. Grace, grace means you can do whatever you want, guys, whatever you want. If you feel like doing it, you can do it. Now for maybe a young Christian guy who really wants to sleep with his girlfriend, and he hears that kind of message, Man, his flesh is going to be so tempted to believe that. But we know, right? We know the Word of God tells us that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It doesn't say indulge yourself. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So how do we contend? How do we contend, right? To contend for the faith means to uphold the whole counsel of God. Not just bits of it, but all of it. It means that we have to deal with people, right? It means getting involved in their lives, opening the Word of God together, helping us all to to think biblically so we can love God with our minds, all our hearts and our soul all our strength. You see, 
the kind of false teaching that had got into the church had affected people to varying degrees. There were some who heard this teaching and they were, they were beginning to doubt. Is this true? Is it not true? I'm not sure. And then there were others who were in real danger, real danger. And then there were a third group. They were just so far in. They've just indulged themselves in every sinful passion that they could think of. So Jude gives us this beautiful little bit of Scripture. It teaches us how we are to deal with these people. And Jude's way is God's way. So are you ready for a little bit of lesson from Jude? Let's go. The first people Jude talks about are those who are doubting, right? Uh, Because of their example, the way they lived and what they taught, uh, these people had become a little bit uncertain about some of the claims of Christianity. And the word doubting there means uh, to hesitate or, or to waver. It's kind of like they're on the edge and they're thinking, should, should I believe this? Shouldn't I believe this? They're, they're unsure. And this might surprise you guys, but uh, churches are actually full of people who doubt, right? Young believers have doubts. Old believers have doubts. Even leaders go through times of doubt, right? If we had questions in, in our mind, like, oh, can we really trust the Bible? Is it, is it really true? All of it? Can all of it really be trusted? There are times when I just pray to God, and I pray to God, and I pray to God, and I'm asking the question, is He really there? Man, is it, okay, like, I love Jesus. I can do whatever I want, can't I? Just moments of doubt. And Jude tells us, how, when that happens, what do we do? And Jude gives us this very simple word. He just says, have mercy. Have mercy is the key. And the reason that we can have mercy with others is because we need to stop and we need to remember how merciful the Lord was with us, how patient He was with us when we didn't have it all together and we didn't have it all worked out and our doctrine all dotted and crossed. And yet the Lord was patient with us. Guys, when someone comes up to you and they got doubts and they got questions, don't immediately assume, oh my goodness, you're a budding heretic. Take time. Just be patient with them. Right? Be helpful. Invest in that relationship. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they are a beautiful example of what it means to show mercy when there's a little bit of doubt or something missing. Right? There was this guy, Apollos, uh, and he came to Ephesus. He, they, it says he was a learned man. He knew the scriptures really well. And he came and he spoke with great fervor. He preached well. And it says he taught about Jesus accurately. But there was something missing, right? He spoke boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they go like, oh, he's got it, but there's something not quite there yet. Instead of going home and like kind of having roast preacher for lunch, we've all done that. I can tell by you laughing, I'm right. Instead of doing that, they invited the preacher for roast lunch. And they invited him home, into their home. And they said, Apollos, 
have some pavlova. And once they gave him pavlova, they had him, right? They said, now we got you. Let's explain the way of God more accurately. They showed him mercy. Right? Mercy means to not get what you deserve. And Jude tells us, have mercy, right? Guys, we should be known for our patience and our love. That's what it means to contend for the faith. Guys, maybe today you know people who are doubting, who are struggling with some of the ideas of the Christian faith. Maybe we should just be showing some mercy. The second group that Jude addresses is a little bit more serious. It's those who need to be saved from the fire. Jude says it like this. This is how we want to contend with the gospel of grace because these guys, we need to save others by snatching them out of the fire. At City Reach, part of our vision is we say we live out our new identity. What's that? Identity. That was a test, guys. Stay with me. Sorry. We live out our new identity through community on mission, right? What does it mean to be on mission, right? Part of that means, part of that means is that we hold out the word of life. We hold out the gospel to a crooked and depraved generation, right? We're naive to think that the world has it all together. The church struggles to have it all together, right? But we hold out the gospel to them. When Jude says we are to save others, it doesn't mean there that we have the power of salvation within us, right? We don't, we don't give salvation to people. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus died for them. Only Jesus rose again. That's his job. He gives them salvation. But the word there, save, can also mean rescue. We are part of a rescue team. Jesus is calling us to be part of his rescue team. It means that we're actually involved. If you saw a baby crawling to an open fire, what would you do? Okay, some of you are unsure. A baby is going to an open fire. You snatch the baby. You don't think about it. You snatch the baby from the fire. That's what you do. You know the destruction that it's heading for. But some of the false teaching that is around today is people will say, there is no fire. There is no fire. The baby's just crawling. There's no judgment. There's no help. And yet one of the elementary teachings of the doctrines of Christ is eternal judgment. And that's found in Hebrews 6. See, guys, one of the greatest, greatest things that we get to do as believers is we get to be part of this, this, this thing called a, a rescue team. We, we get to, to go to people and we get to point them to the Savior. We get to show them who He is, point to the gospel of grace. We're part of that. There was a guy called C.T. Studd. Has anyone heard of C.T. Studd? Right, a long time ago. It's usually the older people who put up their hands, like myself. So C.T. Studd was born in 1860, and he was educated at Cambridge, 
very well. He was esteemed, looked up to. He was also one of the top cricket players at the time. He played for England. He played in that original test against the Australians, which they lost. They lost to Australia. How could that ever? And they've lost ever since, since that time. But in that test match, it was the most awful thing that could ever happen. How could this happen? Cricket was dead, and they burnt the bales. They put it in a little urn. C.T. Studd was part of that team. But C.T. Studd became a Christian, and he said, I want to contend for men and women who are heading for the fire. What C.T. Studd did is he said he gave away a huge fortune. He left comfortable England, and he became part of a group known as the Cambridge Seven. And instead of staying and living a life where he was famous and he had wealth, he gave it all away to go to the mission field. And as an old man, he died in Africa, still on mission. And this is what he said towards the end of his life. He said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Garcetti Stud knew what it meant to contend. And if I'm honest, sometimes I just want to be part of that nice, comfortable little community where everything's safe and secure, and I forget that I'm called to be part of a rescue team. The church is a rescue shop. I don't know if, uh, if any of you have seen the movie Schindler's List. Right? It's an older movie now, and it's the true story of a guy called Oscar Schindler. And uh, during the war, World War II, he was actually part of the Nazi party, and he profited from the time of war. He had factories which built ammunition on, on slave labor. But then Oscar Schindler saw what was going on, and he declared that he was going to save Jews from the fire. And so he used his factories as fronts to employ Jews, to save them, to keep them. And right at the end of the movie, Oscar Schindler is now having to, to leave because it's the end of the war. He was associated with the Nazi party, so he's getting prepared to leave the scene. And in the scene, there's all these hundreds of Jews who worked in the factory that he has saved. And as he's walking to his car, the foreman comes out to him and wants to thank him for everything that he's done. And the foreman says to him, one who saves one life saves the world in time. And you would think Oscar could look out with pride. Oh, look at all these people that, have, that I've saved. Yep, thank you. Thanks for that. But this is what he did. <clears throat> Oscar said, I could have got more. I could have got more. I made more money, threw away so much money, didn't do enough. And then he points to his car and he goes, why did I buy this car? Ten more people right there. This gold ring, two more people right there. One more person, one more person that would be alive that's now dead. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do enough. Guys, it's this very challenging thing. Where are we investing our time? I don't want to get to the end of my days 
and think, my goodness, I just played it comfortable. I just was close to church and the chapel bell. And actually, I forget that I'm part of this incredible privilege to be part of a rescue shop. Part of pointing people to Christ. The question I've really been challenged with this week is, is, is am I bothered? Am I, do I truly care? And, and I have to be honest with you guys, there's a lot of times when I just don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. I've forgotten about the fire. I've forgotten about those who are heading there. It just doesn't bother me at all. And I need to think, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Are we prepared to be the rescue shop that we've called to be? The third group that Jude addresses are those who are just drowning in sin. They're just drowning in sin. It says, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Right Now, this is something that we don't hear often. But there is a place for hate in Christianity. Actually, the more mature you become in the faith, you will love more and more. But you will also hate certain things more and more. Now let me make this clear. You will never, never, ever increase in hate for people. The very opposite will happen. You will have a greater love for people as you follow the Lord. But you will have or at least we should have a greater hate for sin. Right? We should look at sin and the effects of sin, the damage it does, the way it hurts other people, how it is in the Lord's eyes. And I wonder, do I, do I hate sin enough? Right? I mean, yes, some sins, you see them and you're like, oh, that's awful. There's this, this hatred towards them. But if I'm honest, you know, sometimes there are other sins which like, oh, it's not so bad. I can tolerate them. And maybe, maybe there's even some sins that I really like. You see, Jude paints this picture of stained underwear, right? Now, the word literally means underwear. It's his garment, but it's underwear. And the stains there refer to vomit or other gross stains, probably infectious diseases, maybe a reference to STDs. And Jude tells us, man, you need to look at this and you need to show mercy. Yes, show mercy, but do it mixed with fear. Because none of us, none of us are immune to falling into temptation. Right? We live in Adelaide. It's like one of the top 10 cities in the world to live in. It is a beautiful city. I love living in Adelaide. But there are also, it's a city of lots of temptations. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves falling for the very evil and sin that we hate. And Jude is warning us here, guys, when you contend for the faith, I want you to take great care. Stay pure. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. If you think you're standing strong, take heed lest you fall. Uh, the other day, my, my daughter was busy playing outside, and she was sitting down, and my wife noticed a whole lot of ants 
were crawling all over her. So I ran to her and I picked her up. And the ants also started crawling all over me. The very thing that I wanted her to rescue her from, I became infected with. And it can happen to us. There was a prime minister of the UK, a guy called William Gladstone. He was prime minister four times. He lived in the 1800s. Incredible guy, well looked up to, and he was a committed Christian. He did a lot of good works. And part of what he did was he started a mercy ministry to the fallen women of London, basically the prostitutes in London, really wanting to reach out to them, rescue them from the lifestyle and the bondage they were caused into, point them to the Savior. But what happened was the very thing he was trying to rescue them from, he was becoming seduced by. Right? He wrote in his diaries that he would become overwhelmed with this desire to hear their stories, to hear all the sordid details of what they had done. And not because he cared for them and wanted to rescue them from them, because he loved hearing about them. He loved the sin that they were involved in. God's, and, and Jude's warning here is like, show mercy to them. Treat them better than they deserve. They've gone so far into sin. Treat them better than they deserve. But guys, be fearful. Fearful, don't be proud. Don't think that you've got it all together and don't think that you can't fall. Know the dangers of sin for yourself and tell them the dangers of sin and the destruction it leads to. You see, Jude makes this reference to garments, right? Underwear. Out of all the things Jude could have chosen to talk about sin, he chose garments, and that's not a mistake. right? Because you see, all of us, all of us at one time wore garments stained by sin. The Bible tells us that even our best efforts are like filthy rags before God. And we know, I know and you know, everything that we've done, everything that we've thought, if we had to have it displayed publicly, would embarrass us and shame us because we know the evil that is in our hearts, that stain of sin that is right there. And yet when we became believers and we trusted in Jesus as Lord, he took our stained rags, he took our stained underwear of unrighteousness and gave us his royal robes of righteousness. I wonder if you can imagine this scene. There's a prostitute who's been working all night, all night. And it's the early hours of the morning and she's walking home. And the Queen of England comes to her. And says to her, Madam, will you give me your clothes? And I will give you my royal clothes. Could you imagine that happening? And yet that is exactly, exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Exactly what he did. He said, let me take all your sin, all your shame, all those stained, filthy rags. And I will give you my beautiful pure, spotless, royal robes for you. 
to contend, we need to do two things before there will be any change in our hearts. The very first thing we need to do is actually know who we believed. Paul wrote to Timothy, and this is what he said, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Paul didn't write and say, I know what I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. I have a personal relationship with the Savior. I know Him. He knows me. I walk with Him. I fellowship with Him. I know Him. Guys, if we are to be any different, if we are truly to go out in our strength and be a rescue shop and deal with people, we need to know Him. We need to walk with Him. And as you know Him, you want want to read His Word more, you want to obey Him more, you want to trust Him more. You see, one of the greatest things that we have is, is we're actually on mission. We're given a job to do, and this is what it says. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, everything that I've commanded. We need to know Him, to know what He's taught us, to live it out and trust it before we even think of doing it. The other thing that we ought to do is to care for others. You know, we live at a time where the culture is so much about me and my tribe. Right? If you can get through life kind of just surviving and kind of getting a lot of pleasures along the way, you've done well. Guys, the church is not like that. We are so countercultural in that many. We are a church full of people that we don't even know. We're a peculiar people, and yet we're called to love one another. We exist for people who are not even here today. That's who we are. That's who we are. We've got immediately an outset that just cares about others. Paul taught us in Philippians. He says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Guys, that is the heart of Jesus. That is the heart of Jesus. That's what he did for us. This is what it says. It says, in your relationships one with one another, that means all the people you know have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was Jesus' mindset? Who being in very nature God. He is the ruler, the creator of all things. That's who he is. Did not consider with equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God of highest heaven comes down and I'll be a man with all its limitations. And he did that because he cares about me and because he cares about you. And then he did this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Guys, Jesus' heart is for others, right? He cared about me, and he cared about you, and he did something about it. He did something about it. 
Guys, we care about others not because it's a natural thing to do. It's actually natural thing to do is just preserve number one in our family. But in Jesus and in his strength, because we know he cared about me and he cared about you, we can go and care about others. And ultimately, we can show mercy because he showed us his mercy. He treated us so much better than our sins deserve. Treated us with, as sons and daughters. And therefore, we're able to go and be merciful. You know, today, I have to be honest with you, this, this week, this, this word has really challenged me. Really challenged me. Because I, I, as I said to you, I, I just, I don't know if, if I'm really bothered all that much about people who are heading to the fire. If I really care that much about those who are doubting, those who are just deep in sin, actually, will I do anything about it? Or am I just thinking about myself and what I need to do? So maybe how we finish today is we don't walk out these doors unchanged, go back to our daily lives different. I believe the Lord's taught us from his word. So maybe for some of us, what we need to do is think about names. Think about people. Think about maybe someone that you need to have over for lunch. They're struggling with things. Maybe there's someone that you know that is really deep in sin and you need that courage and the strength that the Lord's going to give you to go and talk to them, to rescue them and point them to their Savior. Guys, I don't say this to you, I say it to me. That's the change I need to make, and I can't do that in my own strength, because after this, I'm so tempted just to go enjoy my afternoon and, and get on with it. But I really need the Lord's grace to change me, to change my heart for people, and we all need that. I'd love to pray with you, and this isn't just a blessing prayer, I want, I want the Lord to move in our hearts. So will you stand with me? And let us pray. And while we're praying, we all know different people. We all have different families. Be thinking about people you know. Let us pray. Father, I, I come before you this morning. I, I'm just so desperately in need of your grace and your mercy to help me see people as you see them, Lord. Lord, help me be in awe again of the cross and the wonder that you took my sin and you clothed me with righteousness. You called me into a relationship with yourself. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us as a body, Lord, where we've grown a bit cold where our hearts have not really been stirred for others. Lord, where, we, where I've lacked courage, where I've lacked concern, I pray, Lord Jesus, give me your heart again. Give me your heart again, Lord. Father, we need you today. We need you today. Father, I thank you so much for your word, even though it's tough. Lord, I pray that 
you would give us your mercy and your strength that we need to follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.